Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On June the 27th, 1881, a train left London Bridge Station bound for Brighton. However, before the locomotive reached its destination, one of its passengers would be dead. This time on Macabre London, we uncover the story of the murder on the London to Brighton Express. today is a bustling metropolis, an exciting place to visit, and a somewhat safe place to call home. An eclectic mix of people from all over the world live in London. In some parts of this vibrant capital, the crime rate is lower than that of much smaller cities in other parts of the UK. However, things haven't always been so safe. Stories and tales of old have echoed around the streets and grown to become that of legend, particularly those of a gruesome nature. Today we'll be exploring one of these stories and discovering about London's often bloody past. My name is Nikki Drees and this is Macabre London. On a comfortably warm and sunny Monday in June, passengers boarded the 2pm steam train to Brighton, blissfully unaware of the situation that was about to unfold before them. One of the passengers would be dead and the train would be halted before it reached Brighton in order to be searched for evidence. On the morning of the 27th of June, a thin, well-dressed gentleman by the name of Percy Lefroy headed to London Bridge train station. Percy, who was a journalist by trade, was also partial to the occasional picking of pockets. In the mood for mischief, he headed along to the station with the intention of lining his pockets with the contents of others. After an hour or so inside the station, perusing the platforms for distracted passengers, Percy had come up short and not found anyone to be an easy target. 
deciding that he would board a train in the hope that he could take advantage of some napping passengers and loot their pockets. Percy jumped onto a Brighton-bound train. However, once on board and the train having departed, he found the gentleman in the carriage he'd chosen to sit next to had no intention of dozing. Thinking he would try his luck in another carriage, he headed to first class in the hope that someone with a more precious cargo in their pockets might be slipping into slumber in the heat of the afternoon sun. The next time Percy was seen was when the train pulled into Preston Park Station. A ticket collector entered the first class carriage to find Percy in a distressed state. He was covered in blood and looking mightily dishevelled, having lost his hat, collar and tie. Rushing to his assistance, the ticket collector asked him what had happened. Percy said he'd been travelling in the first class carriage when he was attacked by two men. Percy said he'd been knocked unconscious and only awoke as the train was pulling into Preston Park, just outside of Brighton, where the train was set to terminate, but believed he'd been attacked at Merstham Tunnel, which was only 18 miles into the journey. For the alleged attackers, Merstham Tunnel would have been the ideal location to begin their attack. The steam train would have been almost submerged into darkness, except for the gloomy glow of the tunnel's gas lamps as it made its way through the almost one and a half mile length, meaning the criminals could act without being seen by anyone who happened to be observing the train pass by. Unlike today's modern trains, which can run at very fast speeds of up to 300 miles per hour, Victorian steam trains were relatively slow, reaching a maximum of 78 miles per hour, but usually running at an average of 50. This meant that a bystander could quite easily catch a glimpse of anything happening inside a passing train. No other passengers alighted from the first-class carriage at Preston Park, and suspecting that Percy was perhaps trying to commit suicide, a convictable crime at the time, the ticket inspector decided to accompany him to Brighton, the next stop where the train terminated, so he could give a statement to the railway police. In the Victorian times, railway companies had their own police force to deal with petty crimes and offences on the line, and as such, didn't require the help of the main police force unless a crime exceeded their capabilities. As he walked along the platform, the ticket collector noticed a watch chain dangling from Percy's shoe. When drawn to his attention, Percy removed it and said he'd tucked it away to keep his watch safe from the attackers. If that were true, it would show a very quick reaction on his part, seeing as he'd stated he was attacked without any notice to the ticket collector. Once at the police station, Percy, who was now addressing himself by his pen name of Arthur Lefroy to the officers, recalled his story. Back at the station, the train was sent into a siding in the anticipation that there may be evidence on board which would need to be recorded. By this time, at about 4.45pm, a railway worker was checking the line before Balcombe Station and found a discarded collar on the side of the tracks. Back in the Victorian times, men wore shirts with detachable collars as it was economical to change the extremities of a shirt. The cuffs were also treated the same. And it was to launder a whole shirt, which without washing machines having been invented, was not as easy as it is today. The collar the railway worker picked up was blood-stained but as it wasn't an uncommon occurrence to pick up bizarre things discarded from trains on a daily basis, he thought not much else about it and went on with his day. About an hour later, a friend of his had been walking through the Balcombe Tunnel on his way back from work when he found a body on the track. Meanwhile, at the railway police station, 
Percy told the police about the two men who had attacked him in the first-class carriage. He said one was an older gentleman and one was dressed in farmhand clothes. His recollection of the events that occurred were hazy at best, but he said as the train entered a tunnel he heard a gunshot and was then struck about the head. His recollection was that he awoke in a large amount of blood just as the train was slowing to enter Preston Park Station and that was where he met the ticket collector. After giving his statement, Percy requested that he be allowed to visit the hospital in order to have his wounds cleaned and dressed, which the police could not deny him. Once his injuries had been treated, Percy insisted he be allowed to return to his home in Wallington, just outside of Croydon in South London. The doctor who treated Percy told the accompanying officers that Percy's wounds couldn't have been responsible for the amount of blood he had on his clothing, and so the police detained him for further questioning. Searching his clothes, they found that he had two rare coins in his pocket, but Percy denied these and said that they must have been placed there when he was unconscious. Insisting again that he really must get back to London, a policeman was sent to accompany him back home due to their suspicions that there perhaps might be more to the story than Mapleton was letting on. Back at Balkham Tunnel, the body which had been discovered was reported to the police, and so began the task of removing it. The tunnel was still in operation to trains as the line couldn't be closed immediately, so the care of removing the body was entrusted to the railway workers who knew how to get in and out of the strategically placed manhole covers as the steam trains thundered overhead. The corpse was loaded onto a towable platform known as a brake, which was usually used for goods trains and was taken along to Balkham Station, where the gallant recovery men waited for the arrival of the police. With the bloodied and soot-covered body out of the tunnel, the authorities could begin examining him to try and ascertain what had happened. He was a fellow in his 60s and quickly identified as Mr Isaac Gold due to some papers in his pocket, a season ticket holder and regular traveller on the London to Brighton Railway. Mr Gold's body had been subjected to several stab wounds and a nasty blow to the back of the head, which was clearly obtained on impact when falling from the moving train. Mr Gold was retired, but still kept his hand in several businesses in the city, and in a time before internet banking, had to go and collect his weekly payouts from said businesses and transfer them to the bank. This Monday had been no exception to that rule, and Mr Gold was headed back home to Brighton, except this time he didn't make it. By this time, the inside of the first-class carriage had been inspected and was found to be in an appalling state. The inside floor was covered in blood, a handkerchief had been discarded, and also a newspaper. Several bullet holes were found in the upholstery, and the door and steps of the carriage were also smothered with blood. Back now in the safety of his home, Percy had told the officer escorting him that he didn't want to alarm his cousin, whom he lived with, by inviting a police officer into the home. He excused himself to go inside his abode to change out of his bloody clothes, and to speak with his cousin. The officer waited outside, and then waited a bit more, and then waited a little longer before getting restless and heading to the nearest train station to see if he could find out some more about Percy. It was there he picked up a telegram telling him to not let Percy out of his sight, as a body had been found and he was suspect number one. Seizing the opportunity the lackadaisical policeman had afforded him, Percy fled his home by an alleyway at the back, and so began the manhunt for him. The description of Percy from the Bolton Evening News from Friday the 1st of July 1881 read as follows. Age 22, middle height, very thin, 
sickly appearance, scratches on throat, wounds on head, probably clean shaved, low felt hat, black coat, teeth much discoloured. Lefroy is very round shouldered and his thinner overcoat hangs in awkward folds about his spare figure. His forehead and chin are both receding and very small dark whiskers. His jaw bones are prominent, his cheeks are sunken and sallow and his teeth fully exposed when laughing. His upper lip is thin and drawn inwards, his eyes are grey and large, his gait is singular, he is inclined to slouch, and when not carrying a bag, his left hand is usually in his pocket, generally carries a crutch stick. The Daily Telegraph were the first to issue a sketch of Percy, which was drawn by the innkeeper of his local pub. The sketch, which even though was somewhat of a caricature, provided people with a visual description to begin looking for Percy. The drawing was circulated in newspapers and replicated on wanted posters all over London and Brighton and everywhere in between. This was a first for the police and for forensic science, as never before had a criminal been searched for in this way. This led to the inexorable misidentification of a few scrawny young men who fit the description of Mapleton, and several false arrests were made so much so that the police had to remind people that Percy had a large visible wound on his head and also hair missing where he'd been shaved to treat it. Initially, police, the press and the general public did not hold Percy 100% accountable for the murder of Mr Gold as his story, albeit a little disjointed, did seem plausible and had he not fled his home, he may have just been able to talk his way out of it. However, now with his disappearance, more and more fingers were starting to point in his direction as a perpetrator, and his fleeing definitely didn't help that conclusion from being drawn. On the wanted posters which were issued for his capture, he was now being called a murderer. This was due to the coroner's inquest which began just a few days after the incident, returning a verdict of willful murder. At the inquest, the actions of the police were scrutinised and defamed as incompetent, having allowed Percy to flee, when so much evidence from the day pointed to him being the murderer. Percy's bloody clothes were obtained from his home and clearly showed that there was congealed blood on the knees of his suit, showing that during the attack he'd obviously kneeled on the body of Mr Gold. Why this wasn't noticed by the police at the time seems like a complete oversight. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Once Percy's fleeing was in the papers, stories began to surface about his background and the type of person he was. Percy said he was an immigrant from Australia who had settled in London, but was said to have been of no great means and was always struggling for cash. 
He was said to have hardly any friends, or even work colleagues, as he didn't really have a job to speak of. Many tried to find writings pertaining to the Lefroy pen name, but came up short, apart from a few local interest stories, but nothing of note or of great amount. It was also noted that perhaps Percy wasn't from Australia, but instead Peckham, as many people pointed out discrepancies of his knowledge of the Antipodes, but he did have a good knowledge of Peckham. The actual truth of the matter was that Percy had been brought up by his cousin's family and hardly attended school, with his guardians deciding he'd be better off with a private tutor due to his overall delicate state of health. He was given his inheritance in advance, which paid for his ticket and a new suit, and was shipped off. This was the family's veiled attempt at trying to disown him after he'd run his father into some financial troubles at home. It was only a year before Percy returned back home, having failed at his time in Australia, and was once again back living with his cousins. It was shortly after this time that his father passed away from a brain condition called encephalomalacia, or as it was known in the Victorian times, softening of the brain. Percy began trying to obtain journalist jobs from larger papers rather than the local paper, the Wallington Herald, for which he occasionally wrote, but as a result of his appearance was often turned away for being too scruffy and unacceptably dressed, something which wouldn't be passable in the offices of the larger papers. A few days before the incident, Percy had been inviting everyone he bumped into to a fancy dinner at a restaurant on the Strand in Westminster, and if they agreed, he would talk them into lending him a few shillings, around about £7 in today's money. However, as it turns out, there was no fancy dinner, and the attendees that were meant to be going, minor celebrities of the time, were obviously not in attendance. Once at the cricket game he was part of, he placed a bet on the outcome of the game, but when it came to paying up, his purse had been slashed and the money had been stolen, along with several others, something which his fellow players thought may be down to Percy himself, so as he didn't have to cough up. Percy was also caught trying to purchase a play from a fellow author, but tried to purchase the manuscript without any legal rights in place, and one can only assume he was going to put his own name to the play and sell it on with no credit to the original author, demonstrating his ability to not be troubled by dishonesty. Equally, by this time, tributes towards Isaac Gold were also trickling into the papers. Isaac was a well-loved and respected man in his community, and to the detriment of Percy's story, that it was Mr Gold and another man who attacked him on the train, many people in his neighbourhood said that Isaac wasn't a violent man. More importantly, a friend of Isaac said he was never known to have owned or purchased a gun, a fact that also didn't add much weight to Percy's story. A new tenant at a boarding house in Stepney, in the East End of London, drew attention to himself after being reported for trying to sell counterfeit coins and a revolver, much like the one that was suspected to have been used in the murder. Percy had given his name as George Clark to the landlady, and had easily obtained a room by being charming to her and providing an anecdote that he'd been recommended her house to stay in by a neighbour nearby. According to the landlady, Percy had been keeping himself to himself, and she said it was strange that every day he had the blinds drawn in his room, and whenever he ate in the kitchen, he would also draw the blinds there too, regardless of the time of day. She also noticed that when she went into his room, there was fake hair lying around, and also a black frock coat which belonged to another one of her tenants. When it came to paying his rent, Percy paid the first amount for the week with no problems. 
but when the landlady asked for the second amount, he said he needed to draw his wages, but couldn't do so as he was suffering from a sprained ankle. Not wanting to leave him on his own in the house in the fear that he may lock her out and claim the place as his own, or make off with her belongings, she sent a friend to send a telegram penned by Percy to his employer. This was understandably confusing to the employer, as no one of that name had worked at that location, but the name it was addressed to was someone who had previously given evidence against Percy in the previous week, and the landlady remembered reading that name in the paper. This rang alarm bells for the landlady, and the ruse was quickly quashed, as it was obvious that Percy was masquerading as George, and the landlady went straight to the police. The police didn't tell the landlady what their plan of action would be with their plan to capture Percy, but at around 8.30pm on the 8th of July, 11 days after the murder had taken place, there was a loud knock on the door of the boarding house. The house was heavily guarded to avoid Percy making yet again another escape, as if that had occurred, the police's reputation would have never recovered. Percy was found in his room, and police instantly arrested him, to which Percy established his right to not have to say anything to the force, but he did proclaim that he wasn't guilty. He then spent four months in prison before he was sent to trial at Maidstone Assizes, a periodic court which was reserved for more serious crimes. At his four-day trial, the true story of what happened on the carriage unfolded, with the evidence provided by those who happened to play even a tiny part on that day. Percy boarded the first-class carriage where Gold was seated, and it was just the two of them. As the train thundered along, Gold had perused his newspaper for a short while before placing his handkerchief over his face in order to take a nap. It was then Percy seized this opportunity to try and rob Mr Gold, but must have been caught in the act, and so began a long struggle which spanned the whole length between the two tunnels. At the Merstham Tunnel, a passenger in the next carriage heard what he thought to be gunshots, but believed them to have been from outside the train, so didn't bother investigating the noise or drawing attention to it. This must have been the shots fired that resulted in the damage to the carriage's seat. As the train dashed on and emerged from the tunnel, a lady who was in her garden looked up to see two men struggling in the train, but unsure what might be occurring, she assumed the best and thought that they may have just been messing around. This must have been when Percy began to stab and overpower Mr Gold before the train passed into the Balkan tunnel, where Percy opened the door to push Isaac out which would also explain why the steps leading down from the train had blood on them, as this was where his body dropped. The bottom rung of the step having a bloody handprint upon it, where he must have tried in a last-ditch attempt to save himself before dropping onto the track, and sustaining the head injury which would kill him. At the trial, Percy didn't endear the jury nor the judge to him, requesting that he be allowed to wear smart clothes in court, which was denied. He was apparently very relaxed in court, but would play up when he saw reporters, and especially anyone drawing him, he would begin to pose for them so they could capture his best side. The subsequent condemnation of Percy was exceedingly quick. It only took ten minutes for the jury to find him guilty, and a sentence of death by hanging was delivered. He was instantaneously imprisoned, and spent a little over two weeks in jail. In the subsequent weeks that followed, Percy tried his damnedest to be acquitted of the murder, and for his case to be retried. He gave several confessions that he accidentally murdered Gold, and said that he was definitely attacked first, and not the other way round, which was hard to believe given Gold's large amount of testimonies to his gentle character. 
Percy even confessed to another murder that had happened in February in order to have his time in prison extended, or to perhaps indict a verdict of insanity, so he could be placed in an asylum. He also requested in a letter to an acquaintance that he be sent a file and a saw in the crust of a meat pie, so he may escape, or perhaps some poison, but the friend didn't oblige him. All of his attempts were seen through, however, and his date with the noose was set in stone. A friend of Percy's was so convinced of his innocence that he collected a petition of over 2,000 signatures from people who also felt the same, and who agreed that Mapleton shouldn't hang for his supposed crime. However, this fell on deaf ears when presented to the Home Secretary, and his pardon wasn't granted. He then gave a full confession to the murder, perhaps thinking that he couldn't go to the gallows with the extra weight of his guilty conscience on his shoulders, or perhaps it was to repent his sins. After confessing, Percy seemed resigned to his fate, and even right up to his last evening in his cell, partook in his evening prayers and was seemingly quite calm. He met with the chaplain and was said to retire to bed at 10pm and slept soundly until he was awoken in the morning at 6am. Percy requested a tweed suit to wear at his execution, as he didn't want to be seen dead, quite literally, in the prison clothes he'd been forced into wearing during his stint behind bars. After changing, Percy was then visited by the chaplain once again. As the door swung open, he uttered, Oh, I suppose the last day has come, before inviting the chaplain to join him whilst he tucked into his meagre breakfast of coffee and a slice of bread and butter. Percy demonstrated the resolve of someone who'd seen completely unfazed that this would be his last breakfast, and equally, his last few hours left alive. At 10 to 9 on the 29th of November, the bell began to toll to signify the impending execution, and invited reporters began to gather in the prison yard in front of the gallows, which already had the foreboding noose hanging above the closed trapdoor. William Marwood, the executioner, entered Percy's cell, pinioned him, tying his hands and legs together, before sending him ahead with a procession leading him to the drop. Luckily for Percy, Marwood was the inventor of the long drop method of execution, which weighed up the body of the condemned and offset it with the relative force their body would produce against the noose. This method meant the victim would be met with an instantaneous death instead of the strangulation, and equally the potential decapitation the previous short drop method may have caused. Percy was walked onto the drop, where his tentative feet stood. He was expected to try and make a last-ditch attempt to escape, and as such was flanked by guards on either side, but instead he surprised the officials and onlookers by accepting his fate calmly. He looked towards the gathered reporters, perhaps so they could get his good side, and before he had a chance to say any last words, Marwood pulled the lever, and his body was plunged nine foot into the pit below. The reports from the time said there was no movement from the rope afterwards, suggesting his death was instantaneous. It's hard to believe that given all the events that transpired around the murder, that perhaps Percy wasn't guilty of such a heinous crime, and that it was a struggle that got out of hand. But as no one else witnessed what happened in the carriage, it had to be assumed that Percy was guilty, as just too many things went against him. However, it can be said that Percy did receive some bad treatment throughout his life due to him being a fantasist, his underlying mental health condition, and his overall appearance. This meant that no doubt his life was definitely made more difficult by those around him, but as such, was he perhaps a few turns away from taking the right path instead of the wrong one which led him to the gallows? 
In a society which favoured ultra-masculine men, Percy was never going to succeed, but then again, if he'd just been afforded a little more care and the attention he so clearly craved, perhaps he could have thrived. Thank you so much for joining me for that episode of Macabre London. It's great to have you back. Um, Things are a bit crazy at the moment, so I hope that kind of brought a bit of uh, light-hearted entertainment. Not so much light-hearted entertainment, but a bit of entertainment to your day. As usual, if you like the video, then please give us a like and don't forget to subscribe and also hit the bell as well. And what did you think about today's story? Did you think that Percy was, you know, possibly not guilty? I think there was lots of things that said that he probably was guilty, but let me know what you thought below in the comments. If you'd like to get yourself one of these lovely t-shirts, you can do so by heading to the link in the description below. They are available now and are posting whenever, but they are limited, so um, do buy one now if you want one, because or else they're gonna go. And if you'd like a discount on a t-shirt as well, then please sign up to our $5 a month tier on Patreon, where you'll receive a £5 discount on the t-shirt, so that's a pretty good deal, I think. You'll also have access to update videos that I've now started doing on there, so um, do please head over and check it out. And I know obviously at the moment money can be a little bit tight for quite a few people out there, so obviously don't worry about it if you can't support the show, that is obviously totally fine. Um, but what you can do instead is to share things around. There is now a shareable trailer video which is on my Twitter and my Facebook, so please check that out and um, if you want to share it around to your friends so they can learn about the show then that would be great. Thanks again for joining me for another tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Drews and I'll see you next time. No nails, that's what this whole thing has done to me. Can you believe it? No nails! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.